0: one of the editors of Surgery Morning Report, Beyond the Pearls, and your host for today. I'm a Breast Surgical Oncology Fellow at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center in New York City. I completed my general surgery residency at Lankenau Medical Center and a postdoctoral research fellowship at the University of Pennsylvania. And now for today's case. We're going to discuss a case of right lower quadrant pain in a 28-year-old female. The case begins with the 28-year-old female who has no significant past medical history, who presents to the emergency department with acute onset right lower quadrant abdominal pain. She says the pain was initially peri then later localized to the right lower quadrant. It is sharp in nature and is accompanied by nausea and vomiting. She also reports an episode of fever. So what is the differential diagnosis for right lower quadrant pain? Acute abdominal pain is a common complaint that causes patients to seek evaluation in emergency departments and often requires evaluation by surgeons. The location of abdominal pain is an important factor that informs the differential diagnosis. There are many conditions that are included in the differential diagnosis of right lower quadrant abdominal pain, especially in females of reproductive age. Bowel-related pathologies include appendicitis, mesenteric adenitis, Crohn's disease, gastroenteritis, and Meckel's diverticulitis. Gynecologic pathologies include pelvic inflammatory disease, tuvo-ovarian abscess, ectopic pregnancy, ruptured ovarian cyst, and ovarian torsion. Urologic pathologies include urinary tract infections, renal colic, and epididymitis. The duration, progression, and exact location of abdominal pain and associated symptoms are often helpful in determining the diagnosis. Acute appendicitis, remains one of the most common causes of acute abdominal pain in the United States and worldwide. The rate of acute appendicitis is higher in males, with the highest incidence occurring between the ages of 10 and 19 years. Additionally, acute appendicitis is one of the most common indications for an emergent surgical procedure. The classic progression of abdominal pain associated with acute appendicitis is a dull periumbilical pain, which is visceral in origin, that progresses to sharp pain. Localized in the right lower quadrant as the peritoneum becomes inflamed, patients will usually present with anorexia and occasionally complain of nausea, vomiting, or loose stools. So, what's the pathogenesis of acute appendicitis? Acute appendicitis is an inflammatory process which is often preceded by an appendiceal obstruction. Obstruction is often due to a fecolith, but other causes include a tumor and lymphoid hyperplasia. The majority of patients with simple acute appendicitis do not have a fecal or tumor, indicating that an obstructive process may not always be identified in acute appendicitis. As obstruction occurs, an increase in intraluminal pressure causes occlusion of the small vessels and inflammatory changes. This leads to distension of the appendix and irritation of the visceral afferent nerves of the superior mesenteric ganglion, which produces the broad periumbilical pain initially experienced. As the inflammation progresses to the parietal surface of the peritoneum, somatic sensory fibers localize the pain to the right lower quadrant of the abdomen. Ischemia, necrosis, and perforation are late findings of this disease process, as compromised blood flow to the appendix allows for further bacterial invasion and inflammation. So let's go back to our case. Upon initial assessment, the patient is found lying still in bed. Her temperature is 37.2 Celsius. Her blood pressure is 120 over 70, a heart rate of 77, and respirations of 18 a minute, with an oxygen saturation of 98% on room air. She is tender to palpation in the lower abdomen, especially in the right lower quadrant. Palpation of the left lower quadrant induces right lower quadrant pain, which is a positive Rovsing's sign. So what are the physical examination findings associated with acute appendicitis? A thorough physical examination is imperative to diagnose and treat acute appendicitis. The classic patient with appendicitis exhibits right lower quadrant tenderness and rebound tenderness. The patient is often found lying still because the abdominal movement will irritate the inflamed peritoneum, mimicking the rebound tenderness often found on examination. Slight elevation in temperature and mild leukocytosis are often seen in early uncomplicated appendicitis. Although the presence of a fever is commonly seen with appendicitis, the absence of a fever does not rule out the diagnosis. Other atypical findings such as diarrhea, dysuria, and upper respiratory tract symptoms are not uncommon. Moreover, atypical physical exam findings are often seen due to varying locations of the appendix. For example, a pelvic appendix often produces suprapubic pain or an obturator sign, whereas a retrocecal appendix may produce flank pain or a psoas sign. Atypical and complicated appendicitis is often seen in pregnant, immunocompromised, elderly, and pediatric patients. In pregnant patients, the location of the pain may vary as the uterus displaces the appendix cephalad throughout the progression of pregnancy. In addition, nausea and vomiting tend to be more prominent in the pregnant patient, whereas leukocytosis may be diminished in the immunocompromised patient. Elderly and pediatric patients often present with complicated disease as presentation may be delayed because symptoms may be more vague. Again, back to our patient. On laboratory workup, the patient is found to have a negative pregnancy test and a white blood cell count of 9,000 with 10% bands. Other labs are within normal limits. A computed tomography or CT scan of the abdomen pelvis with oral and IV contrast demonstrates a thickened appendiceal wall. With periappendiceal fat stranding, no oral contrast is seen entering the lumen of the appendix. In addition to these, what is the workup of acute appendicitis? It's important to note that accurate and early identification is critical in preventing progression of appendicitis, as perforation can lead to significant morbidity and mortality. Ambiguity in the diagnosis can lead to unnecessary surgical exploration, resulting in non-therapeutic appendectomies. However, non-therapeutic appendectomies are arguably justifiable to decrease the risk of perforated appendicitis. The rate of negative appendectomies has decreased with the advent of perioperative imaging. The modified Alvarado scoring system helps predict the need for operative intervention, and the components of this may be memorized with the mnemonic Montrells, or M-A-N-T-R-E-L-S, which stands for M, migration to the right lower quadrant, A, anorexia, N. Nausea vomiting, T. Tenderness of right lower quadrant, R. Rebound tenderness, E. Elevated temperature, L. Leukocytosis, and S. Shift of neutrophils to the left. After a thorough history and physical, lab tests including a white blood cell count may aid in the diagnosis. In females of childbearing age, a pregnancy test should be performed to rule out an ectopic pregnancy. Imaging modalities can further aid in the diagnosis of appendicitis when uncertainty exists. CT scan is accepted as one of the most accurate and effective modalities in diagnosing acute appendicitis. Typical findings include an appendiceal wall thickening, periappendiceal fat stranding, a phlegmon, appendicolis, or wall enhancement of the appendix. Ultrasound or MRI can be particularly advantageous in the pediatric population and pregnant patients as they produce no ionizing radiation and do not require intravenous contrast. However, the rates of indeterminate examinations of both ultrasound and MRI remain higher than CT scan. So how do we manage a patient who presents with acute non-perforated appendicitis? The gold standard is appendectomy. Preoperative care should include hydration, electrolyte replacement, bowel rest, and antibiotics. A single dose of preoperative antibiotic covering both aerobic and anaerobic organisms is recommended. These include ampicillin solbactam cefoxitin, and or Cefotetan. Once the necessary preoperative management has been performed, a surgeon needs to decide whether to perform an open appendectomy or laparoscopic appendectomy. Regardless of which the surgeon chooses, all patients must be consented for both procedures because complications are associated with both. The decision to perform an open versus laparoscopic appendectomy is based on several factors. The laparoscopic approach has gained widespread acceptance and is generally the procedure of choice. Its advantages include less postoperative pain, lower rate of wound infection, shorter length of hospital stay, shorter recovery and improved cosmesis. However, some older studies have found a higher rate of intraabdominal abscesses and increased operative time when compared with open appendectomy. Certain patients are more suitable for the open approach, which include those with significant intestinal dilatation. Those with generalized peritonitis, and those who cannot tolerate pneumoperitoneum. Postoperatively, most patients are able to tolerate a diet immediately with early ambulation and discharge. There is no role for routine postoperative antibiotics in non perforated appendicitis. Let's return to our patient once more. The patient is placed on bowel rest and started on intravenous fluid hydration with normal saline. She receives a dose of ampicillin sulbactam in preparation for surgery and gives informed consent for appendectomy. She is taken to the operating room for laparoscopic appendectomy. The appendix is easily visualized and found to be hyperemic and enlarged. It is resected without difficulty. So what if the patient had presented with perforated appendicitis? Patients with ruptured or complicated appendicitis typically have a delayed or unusual presentation. Deciding on early appendectomy, percutaneous drainage, or interval appendectomy remains controversial. However, in all cases, patients are given intravenous hydration and broad-spectrum antibiotics. In early appendectomy, the patient undergoes urgent appendectomy within 24 hours of hospitalization with any intra-abdominal abscesses identified drained intraoperatively. With interval appendectomy, the appendectomy is performed 6-8 to eight weeks after initial diagnosis. Presence of a periapeniceal abscess may warrant percutaneous image-guided drainage. Several non-randomized trials have suggested that early appendectomy and perforated appendicitis is associated with more complications, such as wound infection and bowel obstruction, versus patients treated with antibiotics and interval appendectomy. However, other studies have demonstrated that early appendectomy is associated with a reduced rate of adverse events and time away from normal activities. In addition, complications such as readmission and abscess formation before the planned interval appendectomy can occur in up to one-third of patients. Thus, recent evidence may be in favor of routine use of early appendectomy and perforated appendicitis. However, no consensus is yet reached between early and interval appendectomy. If perforated appendicitis is diagnosed intraoperatively, it is acceptable to continue antibiotics postoperatively. Typically, antibiotics are continued until the patient is afebrile with resolution of the leukocytosis. Regardless of the timing or the approach of appendectomy, it can be associated with complications. The incidence of major complications of appendectomy is low. Therefore, some short-term and long-term complications that are important to mention. Short-term complications include ileus or obstruction, urinary retention, pneumonia, bleeding, Colonic fistula formation, surgical site infection, and intraabdominal abscess. Long term complications are secondary to the development of abdominal wall hernia and intraabdominal adhesions, which can cause small bowel obstruction and, in females, tubal infertility. Intraoperative complications, although rare, include vascular injuries and enterotomies. With all of this, we should not fail to mention the recent trials that have suggested treating appendicitis with antibiotics is safe. However, it has been noted that the presence of an appendicolith is associated with failure of antibiotics alone and should be considered an indication for surgical therapy. Ongoing trials will answer many questions raised by trials of antibiotics alone. Our final look at our patient. The patient started on a regular diet postoperatively and antibiotics are stopped. Her symptoms improve. Her postoperative pain is well controlled with oral analgesics and she's able to ambulate without difficulty. She is discharged home that same day. So let's discuss a couple of pearls related to appendicitis. Acute appendicitis is the most common non-obstetric reason for surgery in pregnancy. It has equal distribution in all three trimesters. Appendiceal neoplasms have been identified at a higher rate in interval appendectomies than routine appendectomies. Appendiceal neoplasms include carcinoids, adenocarcinoma, and mucinous adenocarcinoma. Age greater than 40 is a risk factor for appendiceal tumors, and a colonoscopy is advised for this patient population. Appendicitis in the elderly is less common, and the signs of peritonitis may be blunted. This makes physical examination less reliable. Hence, the role of CT scan and or diagnosis at the time of laparoscopy is crucial. If a healthy appendix is visualized, a complete visualization of the abdomen to search for other pathologies must be performed. The appendix should still be removed to avoid confusion at a later date. Inflammatory bowel disease offers a special challenge. If the appendix appears uninvolved in the inflammatory process, it may be safely removed. However, if involvement of the cecum or appendiceal base is identified, the appendix should be left in place. Thank you for listening to the Beyond the Pearls podcast from Inside the Boards. This podcast is executive produced by Christopher Brightigan and Dr. Patrick Beeman. This podcast is intended for educational purposes only and is not medical advice. Ars longa, vita brevis.